Hi, this is Tony from Kings of Indigo, and you're listening to the Denim Hunters podcast. Welcome to the Denim Hunters podcast. My name is Thomas, and I'm your host. Whether denim is your passion or your profession, or maybe both, this is the podcast for you. Denim Hunters is a blog-turned-consultancy platform. We direct denim business through insights, creativity, and action. If you have a denim business and you'd like to know more about how we can help you grow it, go to denimhunters.com forward slash work. Before we get to the interview, I wanted to let you know how much I appreciate that you're listening. And I have a small favor to ask of you to help me grow this podcast. Would you share it with five denim heads you know? Ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts are also more than welcome. And don't forget to subscribe to get notified when new episodes come out. Alright, we're almost ready to get to the interview. But first, here's the FAQ of this episode. If you have like a one or two, maybe three questions that you always, that always people ask the first questions and, and possibly stupid questions. You know, what would they be and, and what do you answer? Well, the, the main thing is what you asked in this thing is uh, why is organic cotton better than conventional cotton? Mm-hmm. Or what even what is organic cotton? I think if you look at the most consum- consumers, they don't, they, don't, they don't know. If I go here to a shopping street, uh, the people don't know what's the difference. Organic, cotton is organic, right? Because it's a plant. No. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of uh, yeah mis uh, misinformation about that, and I think it's getting better uh, because of course in food there's more organic food available these days. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think that's one of the most asked questions uh, what people ask. That's the most important one. I think next to that I think uh, how do you uh, get consumers informed about this? Hmm. So how do you? That's through training, or how do you? I mean, yeah, I think that yeah, I think one of the, in the question list you sent me, what has been your one of your biggest challenges, right? Mm-hmm. What has been one of my biggest challenges is is actually to to get the awareness of the consumer in the right tone of voice with the right detail, not communicate it too much. But if you look at these days, people want more information hmm. because people are interested, hmm. and that, that's that's that transition is also quite difficult. So how do I? Inform the people who want to know more and, and the people uh, who don't care, how do we don't bother them with this information. If you have a question that you'd like me to answer or ask my guest in a future episode, you can submit it at denimhunters.com forward slash questions. You can send it in as text, which I'll then read out, or you can record it as audio, which we can then play back on the podcast. Just remember to state your name and your Instagram username. Okay, Tony, uh, a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, I mean, we this is not the first time we talk. Uh, I still remember the first time we met. It's um, 10 years ago. Actually, this summer, I think. Uh, I think when we started at Bread and Butter, uh, I think uh, you were uh, more or less starting at a similar time. Yeah. I think we launched our brand at uh, July uh, 2011 at uh, the Lock Bread and Butter. Yes, and and that's where we met, and that was my I, first time. And I was, uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember you guys were kind of. Uh, you, you probably thought I was a little crazy because I was taking a lot of pictures of your jeans and just going nuts about it. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, um, we can talk more about that. Um, but first, let's hear 
a bit about who you are and uh, where you come from and and how you got into all of this denim. Yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I, I'm uh, I'm Tony. I'm uh, based in Amsterdam. I'm from the south of the Netherlands, and I moved to Amsterdam for uh, to study at the uh, Amsterdam Fashion uh, Institute. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I did. So I was into uh, a course for production management and uh, production and sales, etc. and fashion management. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, since then, I've been always living here in Amsterdam, uh, which has uh, slowly uh, been uh, a good hub for uh, denim businesses. So, so when do you, how, how long ago is this that you wished a student? Is it, is it, was it like a... 2000s or uh, 90s or? I, i started i started i moved to amsterdam in uh, 1988 right so uh and then i uh, started with amphi which was called the mesa couture in those days it was a more technical institute in those days and later has been a design department been added to it mm -hmm. and i always wanted to uh, to move to amsterdam and i was very interested in fashion always or especially in uh, more denim related fashion so yeah it was, for me it was a perfect combination to move to the city And uh, also to do an education, which I really uh, was into. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So was it? Did you already were you already into denim and jeans back then? Uh, not hardcore, but I was wearing a, a lot of jeans uh, from uh, from when I was a kid, actually, and always for during my uh, teenage years and high school, uh, always have been wearing lots and lots of denim. Uh, but, definitely but, not only denim, also chinos and other stuff. But uh, for sure, yeah. Uh, like like do. most Dutch people, I guess you you guys seem to have been into denim since forever. I think. Yes, but uh, <laughs> I was not a denim head, as, as people would say these days. And, no, uh, I, I was just uh, into uh, life and uh, going out and sport and surfing and these kind of things. And I was definitely not especially crazy about fashion or denim in those days. No. So, so do you remember when that started? I mean, uh, when you first got it, you know, sort of hooked on denim, like we say today, I guess. Really hooked into denim. I have to be honest. I only started when I started working at Pepe Jeans, which was my first job job in the, in the denim business. Uh, before that, uh, if I look at my education at uh, the Amphi Institute, there was no specific attention for denim there was no knowledge about denim uh, so it was quite new and also amsterdam as a kind of denim city was not really happening in those days there were only a few brands here uh, that only really happened uh, later so no when i got really into denim was really when uh, when i got to work at pepe and work with uh, jason denham and work with uh, trevor harrison uh, trevor still works at pepe jeans he was our pattern maker jason was our designer And uh, uh, then I saw the, the the technique and the the, the love and the passion and patterns and fabrics and washes and all those kind of things going into this. And then I really fell in love with uh, denim, actually. So you were working at Pepe um, right when you got out of uh, or out of Amphi then? No, actually, I got, I got out of Amphi, and after that, I um, I wasn't ready to go to work actually. Uh, so I was working in a lot of bars in Amsterdam, uh, enjoying the life, you know, club life and nightlife. And uh, I, I I continued to to do an MBA afterwards oh. because I loved actually uh, the the fashion studies and the more technical aspects I did. But I missed a little bit the commercial aspects, so I did a, a another course of a year in the business administration. Mm. which for me uh, was like uh, completing my knowledge about uh, knowing how to produce a pair of uh, clothing, but also then how to market it and how to sell it. Uh, um, 
then I traveled for a year around the world. I saved up some money and I went to Asia for a year with my girlfriend at nice. the time. Yeah. And uh, then I came back and I got into a job to work as a quality controller in Turkey for a Dutch company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm based in, uh, they have a factories in Ankara, Istanbul. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, did that for three months. I lived in Turkey for three months and then actually... Uh, uh, they offered me a job in the Netherlands, and after one year, I was offered a job at Pepe Jeans. Right, and I started there as a as a developer and a production person for uh, apparel, so for tops, mainly knitwear from Italy and t-shirts and sweatshirts and shirts from Portugal. And uh, yeah, later uh, I uh, I uh, moved on towards. Uh, China and Turkey production, and then I got responsible for all Pepe jeans sourcing and development. And nice. Then I got into denim. So after uh, uh, three years at Pepe, I uh, was responsible also for the denim part of the business. So is this then around the same time that because Koi is not the first brand that you started, right? Or or tell us that story because there was uh, before Koi there was Kuichi. Yeah. Well, I, when I, I I worked at Pepe Jeans for se- for six years, and after six years, I, li- I was a little bit tired of real hardcore production and development work, mm-hmm. and I, I did I wasn't happy. So at a certain point, I, I just uh, yeah uh, resignated and without another job. And then a friend of mine uh, came by Ubi, uh, who was a, a friend of my uh, girlfriend at the time, uh, who were, used to work at Tommy Hilfiger in New York, mm-hmm. and he started his own denim brand, Ubi Jeans. Okay. And uh, he uh, asked me to help a little bit. And from helping a little bit, I uh, it came to helping a little bit more. So I spent uh, quite some time in Los Angeles setting up his, uh, his uh, brand Ubi, uh, producing at Kitech in L- LA with uh, uh, Kuroki fabrics and uh, Kahara fabrics and uh, great, great stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, then uh, when um, uh, I, th- I think we were on on our way on our journey for Ubi with ten, uh, about ten months, um, I got a job offered at Guichi as the uh, CEO, and uh, which was quite far from my bed to be honest. I, I didn't have any experience in, in, in managing a, a whole company. I just had familiar with uh, uh, Pepe Jeans as a denim company, which is a bigger denim company, and Ubi, which was a startup. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, the, the people at Kuichi thought this was very interesting because I had tech, technical knowledge. I had the spirit of being, have the balls to work with a startup in denim and move to uh, America and work there on, on jeans collections. And uh, I think, yeah, that, that was the start of uh, yeah, mo- moving more to like a management function within the uh, denim industry. And uh, yeah, I, I, I was very interested in what they were doing. Yeah, and Gucci was started as a kind of sustainable or more organic in those days denim company, yeah, which uh, actually started as as, as a as a cotton uh, farmer alliance in Peru, hmm. who made organic cotton, and they didn't have the the distribution network to sell it to brands. No, none of the brands were interested to buy organic cotton from them. And then they said, well, "Okay, let's. If there's nobody interested, we're going to create our own brand." And that's actually how Kuichi started in 2001. Really? Uh, and uh, after a couple of years, they haven't really achieved anything uh, in the means of uh, sales. But also from a sustainable point of view, they haven't achieved anything. So they, they they were looking for a new CEO who had technical knowledge and also had a more a startup mentality. And they mm-hmm. thought they would uh, find that in me. So when I entered Kuichi, there was nothing uh, organic yet and nothing fair and that was my first assignment 
so uh, when I uh, when I joined Guichi, uh, the first thing I, I did in two weeks was flying to Peru to look at the cotton fields and the far speak to the farmers. What is so special about this cotton, and how we could uh, uh, what what is what is the difference between this uh, organic cotton and all the conventional cotton I always worked with in, before. So, okay, because I actually um. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I could have read up on this, uh, obviously. But I thought you were part of starting it from the very beginning. So so I got that wrong. You got that wrong. I, I was not a founder. I was also not the shareholder. I was just the managing director or CEO of, of Kuichi. And uh, they just hired me. Uh, there were shareholders. We're all NGOs from the Netherlands. Hmm. Uh, different NGOs who were all in fair trade uh, food, uh, fair trade coffee. And they started with this fair fair trade cotton project, which they couldn't find a market for to sell it. So that's why they created their their own brand with their own funding. And they needed someone to head this up to realize from organic cotton also organic products, yeah. which was quite hard hard at the time. You know, it's, uh, today you can buy it left, right, and center, but in those days, organic cotton was uh, yeah quite exceptional. Yeah. But it felt like my own company, Thomas. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. was very passionate about this. I, <laughs> I read the book of Nico Rose, the, actu- the actual founder of, uh, of, of Kuichi, who was uh, the director of Solidaridad, the Dutch NGO. And uh, he approached me for this job. And uh, I saw what they did in bananas and fruits. And I saw what they did in organic coffee. And I really, you know, uh, loved this way of working to be, uh, to making something beautiful and something good at the same time. And mm-hmm. at that time, uh, organic products in general were not very uh, qualitative and not very cool. And I saw it as a great challenge, actually, to 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 find this fine line between coolness and quality and price and, and innovation and, and and fairness, and to build that into one brand or into a, a denim product. And so, yeah, that that's that's why I actually took the job. So, so why didn't you stay at Kuichi? What happened there? Well, we we built a nice business. When I started at Quichi, we did, uh, I think, half a million turnover. Mm-hmm. And when I left, we did 10, 10 million. And uh, yeah, the, the shareholders were looking to to grow faster and to open up retail stores. And uh, yeah, there were different uh, opinions within the shareholders how to approach this. Mm-hmm. And my approach was to uh, to stay growing slowly, let's say grow organically. And uh, there were some voices who said, "Yeah, let's now uh, yeah, like uh, hit it off and, and accelerate." I said, "Well, this is not a brand or not a uh, sustainable product. It's not a, really a product to 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 take off very very fast. You know, it's it's not easy. And also, the market is not really ready to uh, consumers aren't really ready to to buy this in big volumes. So I mean, no, stay. We were growing like uh, let's say about uh, one to one half million euros turnover per year, which I thought was a quite a nice pace. And I wanted to continue with that. I love to open one, maybe two retail stores at that time. Mm. And uh, yeah, there were other people thinking in the in the, in the shareholders uh, uh, who to open like twenty uh, a year. Huh. And I I didn't feel comfortable with that, so I said I said I'm 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 not the person to do that. And when did you leave then? I left in uh, uh, ten years ago now. It's uh, April, uh, I think April 2010. I left. Right. So where's Kuichi today? They are still around. Yeah. <laughs> did they open <laughs> they, the, all they, those stores that they wanted? No. They did. They did. They opened uh, they, they opened about twenty stores. If I'm not mistaken. Hmm. Um, they uh, took out all the agents and uh, built their own showrooms but uh, yeah it's uh, they 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 uh, 
they also closed the stores in a couple of years again because none of it was uh, profitable no. and uh, didn't work. And a couple of years ago, they went bankrupt. If I'm not mistaken, it was about 2015 or so. They went mm-hmm. bankrupt or 2016. And then uh, the old sales manager, Peter Schuitema, he uh, was there from the day one. He, uh, he, uh, he uh, took over the, the, the bankrupt company, the brand and stock. And he slowly restarted the brand again. So it's still around. Okay. It is not as close as where when I left <laughs> at that time. They're they're not close to where they were today, but I think they do a good job. They are the, the they are the first organic denim brand in Europe, so it's a quite a strong statement still. I think and yeah, I think the guys do a good job. Yeah, and, and they got. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy it's still there. It's it. Uh, we have put a lot of effort and a lot of love in it. Yeah. To uh, to create this and. Uh, but so I felt for the very painful. So Tony, for the listeners, I mean, because I'm not. Most of them might, so most listeners uh, that I'm in contact with, at least, they are pretty hardcore raw denim heads. Uh, so yeah. Kuichi might not be a brand that they are that familiar with. It's it's not at least that known in in that scene because it's uh, the, the product is. Kuichi is not, was not uh, Kuichi was not a very hardcore denim brand for sure. No, uh, but uh, it was uh, it was a little bit more like uh, I would say fashion denim, mm-hmm. um, and um, it was five pocket driven. I think uh, we did. We made nice denim. We made nice salvages in organic uh, cotton. The first salvages in organic cotton. So I think we were quite innovative. Yeah. But it was a little bit more fancy than what hardcore denim heads would love, and right. also was very much based about uh, washed garments and not yeah. about dry goods. Yeah, and so, and that's a big uh, no go for a lot of the you know a hardcore raw denim heads, of course. So, exactly, uh, exactly. But but so we, but we did th- that. We had dry denim. We had dry salvage, but it was yeah. not the core business. No. Um. So, but but I. That's not really the interesting thing I think about it. I mean, the the thing is that it was like you said, the first to do organic cotton in Europe, the first to do organic salvage denim. Um. Yeah. And, and at a time like you know, I think the story of of that NGO is is just a tells you know that is the story right that they didn't there was there was no demand for this there was no market you know and and they, i think they approach bigger brands and they approach bigger uh, retail change yeah. uh, i don't call any names but i mean they were not interested at all in uh, organic cotton no they say who, who cares about this and i just want to you know i need to make my margin and uh, the consumer's happy yeah so and 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 they thought differently and to be honest they they saw things quite right and it took a long time (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's it's about uh 17 years ago 18 years ago that i joined there and about 20 years ago that koichi uh, was uh, started actually so yeah yeah uh i have to say this uh there's quite a visionary uh, brand and i think at that time there was only one brand available which is also going in that same direction which was loom state from uh, rogan gregory Hmm. uh and uh, okay. in in the U- in the US, and he, I think he did a great job as well. But in Europe, Kuichi for sure was the, the first uh, at, the, at that denim level, and but also Kuichi was making a lot of apparel, eh? t-shirts, sweatshirts, the shirts. It was uh, definitely not only uh, denim, but it was more like a let's say a lifestyle yeah. brand okay. rather than a hardcore denim brand. So so let's talk about you know then you you left uh, ten years ago uh, almost to the day now uh, that we were recording this, and then. A year and a half later, or a year later, uh, like we said at the beginning, we meet in Berlin, and you have your own brand, right? Yeah. Well, not only my own brand. I started actually with uh, with Kings Vindigo. I, at first, I took a few months off. I needed to take distance from 
this this like like but Kuichi was my baby, so I I had to also get myself back on my feet again, like uh, being a little bit disappointed that didn't work out. On mm-hmm. the other hand, also saw lots of opportunities, and um, uh, our old CFO from Kuichi, Frank, um, always said to me like, if we if we, if you leave and I leave, then we should do something together. And one of my best friends, Guido, said actually the same. So when I left uh, Kings Vinigo, uh, after a couple of months, uh, we said already, let's uh, let's see how we can create a new brand and uh, and uh, do uh, uh, the same similar concept what Kuichi did, but to do it a little bit more uh, hardcore, not hardcore denim, but a little bit more denim mm. and more closer to my own heart and my own taste level. Uh, so, but I, because denim was my own brand, so we we started uh, developing our our product uh, with with uh, with the suppliers I knew. And they all helped us uh, to to create our first collection. And I think I started with that in fall 2010. So I took a half year off and then started developing uh, fabrics and collecting fabrics uh, from all the mills we were working with, uh, like Candiani, Orta, uh, Isco, uh, Royo, uh, and uh, yeah, mainly European mills. Or uh, and uh, yeah, starting to uh, create our first collection, which is. Uh, only denim driven with a few shirts, a few t-shirts, a few sweats, a few socks, uh, yeah. underwear. So it was like a, yeah, it was, it was a nice concept. And uh, one of the things I learned from uh, from Kuichi was that nobody could really pronounce the name, so it had to be a simple name. Hmm. So I started with Koi as, as the name, and which later uh, more uh, added to uh, Kings of Indigo as K O I as an abbreviation. Uh, so, so okay, that, so it started with Corey, and then you found a name that suited that abbreviation, or was it the other way around? No, it was the first Corey because I have a big Koi carp on my arm, and, <laughs> right? Uh, which I tattooed when my mom died. She hated tattoos, so this was my first tattoo after she passed away. Mm. And uh, so I thought this is a good moment in remembrance. And uh, Koi is a fish which uh, swims against the stream or upstream. Yeah, it's very. Uh, proud animal and my mom was like that as well so i thought first of all i, I looked for a simple name which was powerful uh, also a name which linked to uh, quality and for me japan is, is a high quality denim and koi links for me to japan yeah and uh, yeah then and then later i came actually up with koi mainly to a band from norway which is called kings of convenience Ah, which was KOC. I saw yeah. that I went to a concert, so the, the post was KOC. And I said, hey, KOC, KOI, Kings of Innovation, Kings of Inches. Hey, Kings of Indigo, that would be nice. Yeah. And so, then I thought, like, hey, that, then I can complete also. Kings of Indigo for me is more the American, Americana, which is one of my favorite countries, and uh, where, which is the or- original denim country. And Japan, which is the original denim country where American denim got to a higher level. Merge those two loves together into one name, Kings of Indigo or Koi, nice. and make it in a sustain in a sustainable way. And that's actually how how I came up with the name, and then uh, also was able to register the brand name, of course. And uh, yeah, and you could get uh, you, now you introduce yourself as the King of Indigo in your emails, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> so that's nice. <laughs> my, my 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 title is uh, the King of Inspiration. All right, Koi, uh, our uh, our denim designer. Uh, of our designer in general he is king of ideas and right. all the people in our company have uh, the queen of communication is the marketing person and uh, so we're, everybody has a king or a queen title in, in the company right right so okay so um let's now say that you have to describe koi to someone who's never ever heard of the brand before how would you do that in like just a few sentences 
Well, King's Vinigo is a brand which is based on American classics and American sportswear with uh, a Japanese eye for detail and packaging and then made in a sustainable way. Uh, nice. That's it. Nice. That's how simple it is, actually. It's, it's two countries. Our inspiration always comes from two countries and then we make it in a sustainable way. And that's that's all the elements we need for our brand. Nice. So, so the sustainability part, I think that's uh, we need to talk more about that. Uh, so, we already heard that you know you you came from Kuichi and and as the first brand in Europe to do organic cotton. Um, this has been part of Kings of Indigo, of course, since day one as well, right? I mean, yeah, doing organic. When, 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 I, when I when I when I started with Kings of Indigo. For sure, I, I wanted to do uh, this concept because I strongly believe that at that time, bef- before when I was Gucci, consumers were hardly very interested in, in this whole co- uh, concept. But I was, I was convinced that if I looked at other industries, that that this would become more and more important, and uh, expected actually to be more important sooner than these years. You know, the last yeah. two years really has been. If you look in the industry, if you look at all the denim trade shows, yeah. it's all about sustainability. Yeah, but even before the first. Uh, five six years of, of king's vinigo was still not very extremely relevant apart from eco stores or more eco-driven consumers mm-hmm. and uh, now you see slowly coming to a different area but i i i'm i'm 100 sure i would never have started king's vinigo if it wasn't for a sustainable brand because i i, I really got in love with that combination between do good and make beautiful things mm-hmm. and just making denim for the sake of it there meant so many denim brands so why start a new five pocket denim brand? I mean, <laughs> yeah. for me, I didn't feel like a motivation to do it. Um, but the motivation was to to combine these two strange worlds, often not really being belonging together, uh, to make it together and make a quality, innovative product at a reasonable price, and, yeah. uh, and with a, with the indigo heart. And I think that that combination was was quite unique. Because Kuichi was more fashionable, and in King's Vinigo is more uh, the real, uh, real denim, right? And I think one of the things that you know uh, is often the issue with making sustainable products for, for brands, and, and is is how you it's it, it's sort of the um, how you communicate it, how you sell it, right? Because it still to this day, I think, has this sort of connotation of being like you said it's eco it's uh it's a little hippie you know it, it's it's certainly not sexy so so how can you make sustainability sustainable products more interesting how did you do that with, with kings of indigo well i think like i said in the beginning it was still really hard because consumers were not really open for it the, the main thing we did with kings of indigo uh, was not to communicate too much about it if you look at our pocket folder it was like a cowboy on a koi car uh, reflecting the the, the 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 American and Japanese mix of inspiration, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, our, um, our 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 payoff was like quality wear for the next era, right? It didn't mm-hmm. say anything about eco. It didn't say anything about green. It said quality wear for the next era, for the future of our world. But uh, so I mean, there was a kind of uh, abstract way of describing sustainability, nice. which also helped us to get non people who were not completely in, inter- interested in uh, in sustainability to get them to buy our product. And then they found out, oh, it's actually organic cotton. So we tried to do it in a more playful way, also with our artworks. Uh, we were very much inspired by uh, uh, vintage American artworks and. Uh, 
making them a King's Windigo and use that in our communication. We, we had an amazing graphic designer when we started in the first uh, five years, uh, Kyle Stewart from Goodwood Store in London. Mm. And he came up with the whole uh, brand DNA and the logo and uh, all the artworks and buttons designs. And so, yeah, he's a, he's a denim lover and he's an, an authentic sportswear lover as well. So, I mean, uh, yeah, he, he did a great job, I think, uh, at getting the brand DNA right. And so that also so basically that, you did that, that, you did something that I would actually um you know w- when I talk to brands and when I consult with them this is basically a thing that I would recommend right that you that you downplay it that you know because everyone today is like oh I'm green I'm sustainable but you you did it from day one um surely uh you know with intention of downplaying uh th- that it was green or eco um But but what was the reaction to it? I mean, did you have any like? How did consumers and, and retailers as well react to this? Uh, I mean, there were different reactions. I think, uh, of course, the real uh, people were interested in the subject. They wanted more information. So yeah. we always try to layer our information flow. Hmm. Like I said, on product, we were very limited in our production in uh, in uh, in our communication about eco or fair fair wear foundation or organic cotton. But if you look inside the jeans, there was a pocket bag print uh, saying something with organic cotton or recycled cotton, or about uh, linen, uh, and uh, so I mean that was more on the inside that the information was, or on the website. And so people, it, it, we layered our communication. So people were not interested in this. They were not bothered with this information. They, they just they just bought a really nice fitting uh, denim. And uh, yeah, people were interested. They also could find the information at the inside. Or if they wanted to know more, there's a there's a website where you can link to uh, to to learn more about the the fair wear foundation or organic cotton or the ways were washed or not washed. Yeah. So. Uh, And and that that's still how we do it. And uh, the problem at the moment is that everybody's saying they are sustainable, but sustainable as a word doesn't mean anything anymore. It is deflated <laughs> to a yeah. generic term for everybody who claims that they want to do something better. Right. But uh, most of the time, it's uh, it's greenwashing or or it's for a very small part of their collection. And for Kings Windigo, I can I can say. From day one, we've been into this, even before we started with King's Vinigo, because Hoy, our head designer, he came from Koichi as well. Hmm. He joined me after one year after I started with Koi. So, uh, yeah, it's in our blood. It's in our heart. And it's the way we do things. And uh, all fabric suppliers, they can uh, confirm that if if they bring their collections to our table, the first thing we ask, okay, leave everything in the bag, which is not uh, organic or recycled or uh, linen or hemp or... Uh, or like uh, everything with conventional cotton we are not interested so leave it in your bag we only want to see the fabrics which we can work with mm. that's the, that's how we start developing our product and uh, so for us it's not a it's choice we just do it how does it uh, then impact i mean it, it, without getting into too much of specifics but how does it impact like the the cost of production and and ultimately the retail price what you do here the the approach that you take to making these products Not so much anymore, to be honest. Maybe 10% more. Hmm. Uh, yeah. It used to be, of course, when we started with Koichi, the first uh, organic denim I made, I had to buy my own cotton from Africa and uh, uh, and ship it to Spain, to Tavex. And they had to spin yarn and, and weave denim out of it. And then we had to ship it to Tunisia to stitch it and send it to Italy to wash it. Hmm. 
it's quite a logistics uh, experiment, but yeah. it was the only way to do it. And these days, all suppliers, they offer uh, jeans with uh, organic cotton or recycled cotton, which is even better uh, yeah. in the mix, I think. And also the future of, 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 of denim, I think. And uh, so it's a lot easier now. It's more common. And uh, it's always a volume of skill. When things get a little bit more common, it's, it's easier available, which also means it's easier to produce and there's more experience with producers. Like we had so many uh, denim mills before. So ah, organic cotton is too hard. It's too expensive. And uh, it's, it's yeah. So, and, and, and now everybody's into it and it's a lot easier. Okay. Uh, I, I so, think yeah. at this point, we actually might need to just uh, talk a bit about what is organic cotton exactly. And, you know, what, what does it mean compared to conventional cotton? Well, conventional cotton is cotton, which is uh, grown but uh, the funny thing is, like, we call it conventional cotton, but to be honest, conventional cotton in the really old days is organic. was never done with <laughs> is organic. Yeah. Let's say uh, at a certain point, of course, uh, when uh, cotton was grown in the old days, it uh, was uh, done with all natural uh, ingredients, uh, water, and some uh, natural fertilizers yeah. that was growing. Uh, then uh, after the World War, World War II, I think all our industries have been uh wanting to supply cheaper products more products sell more mm -hmm. and uh, that's of course also when we went from salvage denim for to a wider width which is cheaper and we can produce more volume yeah and uh, the same with cotton growing uh, as you see also in all farming eh? if you also look at animals yeah yeah, yeah. Eh? How, how these animals are grown these days is also not how it used to be no. um uh, so i mean it, it People try to grow cotton faster with less uh, second choice and, and uh, have uh, more uh, harvest per uh, per square meter. And so, uh, they use a lot of uh, uh, fertilizers for that, a lot of chemicals, a lot of pesticides. Yeah. Uh, the garment industry is the second biggest pesticide user in the world. And cotton uses a lot of water. Yeah. And uh, so if you compare it to organic cotton, that's when actually back to the old way of farming a little bit with the natural... Uh, can be done with the bird shit. It can be done with other resources. Yeah. Uh, also, less less water is used. Okay. So I think it's it saves pesticides, fertilizers, and water, and that's that's in short what it is. So it's it's better for the earth, and it's actually better for the people who uh, work on the cotton fields. It's hmm. safer. Is it, does it have any impact for the consumer who wears the product? Like uh, nothing. Okay. No. But no. Uh, all all the all, in the whole production process of uh, ginning, spinning weaving dyeing production all the, the the pesticides which are used are out of the yard so yeah, yeah okay. doesn't have any that also doesn't have any quality impact so if you compare organic cotton to conventional cotton there's no difference it's it's, yeah. it's, it's the the race of the cotton or the kind of cotton which yes, defines yes, the quality the yeah. staple length and the yeah. width yeah which defines the quality of the actual cotton yeah okay um and and what about yield i mean do you how much less can you get if you grow like a field of organic cotton compared to conventional cotton? Like roughly? It's, hard, is it's it? very hard to say in general. I mean, the, the, the thing is like, uh, if you uh, if you look in the United States and if you want to grow cotton in the desert, you need a lot of water. Yeah. <laughs> you need so a lot of, yeah? And, and, and also it depends on where on the world you are, you need more or, or different pesticides. Mm. So it's, it's hard to say generic. Uh, the thing is, um, if you produce where is natural irrigated water, 
is always better than when you are in a dry area like Uzbekistan, for example. There okay, is so, a high, so, so natural high shortage of water. Natural irrigation is that rainwater or what, what is yeah, it? Rainwater, yeah, rainwater. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so, rainwater or melted water from the from the mountains. Uh, so at, at, at least there should be an, uh, enough water available to uh, to use on the cotton fields instead of uh, have uh, drinking water mean maybe being converted to uh, to 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 uh, water the cotton plants. Yeah. And and where where where's uh, where where's cotton grown with natural irrigation then? Is it? Oh, it's India, mm-hmm. uh, Turkey, uh, poo, yeah, uh, some areas in Africa. Okay. Uh, so uh, yeah, but, but, I think those uh, China, some areas, but uh, I think those are the main areas where it's. Uh, and it's getting a little. I mean, it's getting a little technical, but I think this is important because this is the. I mean. Because organic cotton is so important to your brand, and it is so important these days, you know, for, for denim in general and for fashion in general. Um, this is really important stuff because you, the alternative, if if you grow it somewhere where you need to use drinking water, um, you said cotton, it can it it. It, it drinks so much water, right? Uh, I I don't have the numbers in front of me, and there are different numbers out there, but it's like thousands of liters, right, for the yeah. cotton you need for one pair of yeah. jeans or one t-shirt. Also, yeah, even. Like, like, yeah, it differs per area, so it's, it's yeah. up to thousands of liters of water. Yeah. Anyway, and also it, the world population is growing, so yeah. we need more drinking water for people on this earth, right? So uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, we should have uh, we should be be very uh, scarce. Uh, water is very scarce in certain areas of the world, so we should use it uh, as as effective and as efficient as possible. Yeah, it's it's several years since I heard somewhere in the news that you know the next big resource that we're going to see world war over is going to be water. So uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it's a big problem. Uh, yeah, so I th- I think I'll get a couple is better for that or natural irrigated cotton is better for that even if it's a bci or better cotton or even if it's uh, conventional cotton uh, um, but the, the the general use is to to develop cotton uh, technology where you use less water or mm-hmm. we use less new cotton and that's an, that's another pillar where we are working on very much is uh, trying to use less new cotton also use less organic cotton so try so, to mix in more uh, recycled cotton or re- mix in linen or hemp or tencel which are other other yarns which you use a lot less water and a lot less chemicals than uh, organic cotton right and 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 talking about mixes of, of fibers so so like if we recycle cotton it can come from for instance uh, post consumer waste i mean if it's uh, if if you took my old jeans and shredded them up and created new cotton out of that and then blended yeah. that with with the virgin cotton or it could come from uh, like i've seen at candiani for instance where they go and sweep the floors from all the cotton that is flying around the air and lands on the floor and then puts yeah. that back in together that's also like a recycling the cotton um, that's the easiest part the yeah. the, the pre consumer as they call it or yeah. post industrial so if you sweep up uh, cutting rooms from factories and uh, second choice from weaving plants yeah. uh, that that's not worn yet it's not washed yet it's not treated yet so it's a co- kind of pure still pure fabric mm-hmm. it's quite uh, a homo homogene homogene uh, yeah it's, it's easy to define yeah and if you the the problem is post-consumer of course it's been uh, often washed by factories in industrial processes being worn uh, stuff has been spilled on it there's 
buttons on it uh, yeah. which you need to take out to the and there maybe. could be stretch in the fabric as well right and and that well these days for sure <laughs> yeah i mean so if you took like a, yeah even like 10 year old pair of jeans they might have stretch and and i don't know you can you even use that then for, to this i mean you cannot separate can you separate the cotton from the uh, synthetic fibers then i guess not it's getting better i mean if you look at the recycling process when we started yeah. with king's vinegar one of my main goals was actually also to differentiate from uh, what we did at Koichi was to uh, focus more on recycling and less on organic. Okay. Also to be a different brand and also I felt there was the the circular economy was the next level of sustainability rather than just being organic. Yeah. And uh, so we've been working from day one actually on uh, trying to get the best quality uh, recycled yarns possible which was very very hard uh, 10 years ago because the quality uh, they, they got out of this uh, recycling process was not that good, mainly because of the staple length of the cotton was quite short. And if you look at this uh, this techno- technology of mechanical recycling of of, of, of old garments or uh, factory waste, that that technology has been re- hugely improved in the past years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you look at the quality of recycled yarns these days, it's still a lot better. But not saying that if you make a hundred percent recycled cotton denim is still it's not good enough to uh, to to sell but we uh, for example with Kanyani we we just launched a denim which is made from 50% uh, recycled cotton and 25 of uh, 25 of 50% refibra which is also half of it re- recycled cotton so it's mm. actually 50, 75% recycled cotton right quite a high percentage and because of the refibra in it has a long staple it's also still uh, quite strong and uh as I see possibilities uh, of growing this, and uh, yeah, polyester doesn't really help the recycling process. No. Technology is getting better, but in general, I think we should use as less pos- polyester and denim anyway. I mean, if you do stretch, try to uh, I think uh, use not more than one or two percent. That's easy to uh, easy to recycle. Mm. And if you use uh, a couple of years ago, a super stretch are very hot for girls, but even for guys. Yeah. And uh, it was like uh, uh, 8% of lycra in it and then maybe uh, 40% of uh, polyester, T400. That's, yeah, if you try but to I recycle mean, it, it's, hor- it's horrible. First yeah. of all, it's horrible. Then <laughs> that is, that is, all, it's, it's, hor- it, it's impossible it to It looks recycle, horrible. So. It, it, it's horrible in so many ways. Sorry to everyone who likes yeah. that. I don't think no one listening to this podcast no. will like that anyway. So I'm not offending no. anyone listening, I guess. No, 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 no. no. But, but uh, if we were, I mean, there's difference of opinion, right? I yeah. mean, some people like it. Uh, we, we also sell a lot of stretch denim, Thomas. Uh, I know yeah. that we have a I lot know. of hardcore yeah. denim people, including myself. I never wear stretch denim. I hate it for myself but as a as a as a denim brand uh, uh you need uh if you want to arrive at a certain uh, volume you need to you need to also bring stretch denim but there's there's nice quality stretch denim if you do, if you use one or two percent lycra mm-hmm. and com- focus on comfort stretch rather than on super stretch or these kind of high polyester fabrics there's still quite nice uh, fabrics out there yeah um, and and uh, yeah, so uh, but if if it's up to a few percent, like, like going back to your question, it's yeah. still possible to recycle this in, in a very good way. Okay, right. Um, so Tony, this is uh, time is actually flying. Uh, it, a great conversation, I guess <laughs> we're having. Uh, I lost track of time there. Um, so I think it's uh, now it's time that we get into a few questions. Um, and we actually got one question from a, a listener. Uh, that I think is quite interesting and, and relevant to what we just talked about. Um, so this is from Derek, and on Instagram, he's uh, at denim underscore porn with two R's. 
So um, interesting name. Um, so, so, so Derek is asking about sustainability. And let me just read out uh, parts of his question. So he says, yeah. um, I just wanted to ask about sustainability in the denim world. As you are probably aware, cotton production is one of the highest polluters uh, of the environment. Yes, we that's, we just talked about that. So, um, so he's uh, asking, I just wanted to know, what are we as consumers doing about reducing the pollution? I understand that some brands like Nudie Jeans and Levi's are coming up with ways to reduce the use of water and also the dyeing of the denim with less chemicals. Is this a conversation we should be having? Yes. Uh, should we encourage more natural indigo dyeing? Uh, we can talk a bit about that. Uh, should we be promoting brands not for the luxury or the prestige of their brand, but rather of the efforts in producing good denim while caring for the environment? So I think this Sounds is, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, uh, I mean, is there anything here? I mean, um, so uh, the first part is what, are we as consumers doing about reducing the pollution? Uh, I think a big part of your uh, listeners, are, I think, are doing that already because uh, they're mainly uh, buying uh, unwashed denim okay. without stretch, which yeah. is the best denim you can buy because it lasts very long. You more or less buy an undamaged jeans and you wear it in yourself. Yeah. Uh, the best possible way to 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 love denim and to uh, live denim is is to do this. <laughs> Uh, a big part of the consumers actually they 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 don't want that they don't they want to have they want they want to don't want to go through this process and buy a wash gene or a, a kind of looked a used gene. So yeah. the best thing you can do then is to buy second hand. I would say uh, mm-hmm. you can buy amazing old Levi's or APC selling hand. I think Nudie is also selling second hand Nudie jeans. Yeah. Um, uh, so if you want to have like a worn look, <laughs> you're too lazy to kind of wear it in yourself, uh, buy a secondhand one. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. that, that's a good thing. And also they are very well priced if you don't go for the real big E Levi's uh, uh, collector's items. But exactly. if you go to, so I think that's the best thing. The second best, I think, is then in, indeed uh, buy uh, washes which are very simple. And, uh, and and done with, with less water or with laser and ozone. So different techniques than the old hardcore techniques, which uh, if you look at also, uh, we talked about cotton water use, but also in stone washing and uh, washing treatments, uh, which have been developed since the 80s. Uh, before that was all uh, dry denim. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, uh, I mean, uh, then take uh, take care that you buy something which is uh, as still as unwashed as possible, but looks a little bit worn. Mm-hmm. Everything which is super light and highly damaged, first of all, doesn't last very long. Same with stretch jeans. Stretch jeans doesn't last as long as, as non-stretch. No. Uh, and, and, and second, uh, you wear it for a much longer time. And you can repair it. You can, uh, uh, If you're tired of repairing, you can cut it off as shorts. Uh, you, can, uh, you can then uh, put it in the recycle bin and get it recycled. So that, that's the best, best way to do it. And as a consumer... I think besides buying then unwashed jeans, non-stretch, um, or maybe if they're washed, sustainably washed or secondhand, then wash them as little as possible at home. Hmm. Because two-thirds of the water consumption actually in the whole process of the of the denim life cycle, of a jeans life cycle, is actually done at home, in home washing. Right. That's, so, that, that is a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. So, and especially it, and, stretch and jeans, that, a, lot, a lot of girls, uh, you know, wear stretch jeans and, and if the quality is pretty poor. But, after, but, if you, but this if is you only wear the... It one time, this is only talking about the washing. I mean, the the the, the garment finishing part, right? Because the cotton yeah. uses much. Growing the cotton uses much more water than you're ever going to use in domestic laundry. Or, or is that incorrect? No, that's not true. 
Okay. Now, it de- depends on, of course, what kind of jeans you buy. If you buy a fast fashion jeans from a big chain mm-hmm. and you wear it and it's broken after half a year, you definitely use less water. But if it's a quality jean you wear for 10 years uh, or maybe longer, the domestic uh, laundry is going to be and the people wash it every, every, the biggest if, water consumer. If you, wash it, if you wash it every week, yeah. Uh, yeah. Then, then you use more water. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So what about this? Uh, this is part of the question where he asked about natural indigo. Uh, I love natural indigo. We do a lot of natural indigo, but it's not uh, cleaner. No, because uh, from a sustainable, it's a, natural indigo is pretty uh, polluting. Actually, uh, yeah. it's yeah. it's more about uh, if you look at pre-reduced indigo, which is mainly used at the moment. It, it has already d- uh, undergone this this kind of cleaner treatment to have less uh, dirt or poison in, into the wastewater. And, and at the end, of course, is what the dyeing house, so the denim mill mm-hmm. or the laundry where the garment is washed what they do with their wastewater and yeah. most laundries and dyeing house these days they recycled almost 99% of their wastewater and reuse it again for the next washing circle and they take out the dirt and it's so also uh, saves I think, them, uh, it also saves them money obviously you know that they can use yeah. the same water again and again so yeah, yeah. But, but but still it's worth looking out for uh, you know if you if you're into buying uh, wash jeans that you know how were they actually what, what kind of treatments were used and, and and where were they made and you know obviously this is getting into technical questions that if you walk into let's say one of your retailers uh, a lot of the um, sales clerks in the stores they might not know all this stuff right so so you know it's also it gets into when it's like you know most average consumers they don't really really care let's be honest right the average consumer don't care i think in the real denim stores the sales people they they do care and Mm -hmm. if you give them proper trainings uh, and we do that quite often uh, they're very interested in this whole process. Uh, so, h- how do you choose your fabric, and how do you uh, uh, treat your jeans, and when, uh, and how uh, well, how can we help consumers washing less and getting the nicest results in their wear in the in their wearing in process, even if they're not denim heads or like denim fetishists. So, mm-hmm. and that's of course the biggest part of the population. You're, you're right, yeah. but uh, I, I still see a lot of fa- uh, passionate fa- uh, denim salespeople. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have um, two more questions left for you, and um, uh, second last one here is uh, is about other brands that inspire you uh, today, but also in the past. Uh, c- could you mention a few of those? Of course, yeah. Um, like I said, I, my uh, my focus is mainly uh, on America and Japan. So, of course, Levi's number one for mm-hmm. me. The the real the 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 original but all to be honest all old uh, American workwear brands also I, I love them to death so all the details they made and all the constructions they used and all the pocket shapes they developed fantastic um, so if I look at vintage uh, garment that's uh, that's amazing if I look uh, today uh, then Japanese brands are my biggest inspiration uh, for me uh, blue blue Japan is one of my favorites uh, not only for denim but also mainly uh, for tops. Uh, what they do with indigo dyeing and nat- nat- natural indigo dyeing for uh, for sweatshirts and for shirts and amazing constructions, crazy stuff. Uh, may- very good quality and still quite affordable, I think. Yeah, uh, so yeah, I, th- I think yeah. for, for me, uh, Blue Blue Japan is, is one of my favorite brands. It's also one of the few Japanese brands I fit, to be honest. <laughs> uh, so that's also uh, has also has an, an influence. Of course, Capital Japan, mm. crazy uh, crazy stuff. But amazing how they how they position the brand, how they decorate their stores, and uh, what they make, and how mm-hmm. diverse they can go into um, uh, into indigo. I, I'm not the typical hardcore 
five pockets, uh, uh, denim uh, freak. I, I also love other indigo items, uh, hand-dyed uh, natural indigo, like we like we spoke before, or bandanas or indigo socks, or just experimenting with with tracksuits in indigo, these kind of things. I think I think that indigo is my biggest love, uh, mm. and, and that, that's all brands which do that uh, really inspire me. Uh, so yeah. Um, uh, nice. th- I think th- those are my two biggest inspirations, I would say, from a brand point of view. I think in the old days, I think Atelier La Durance. I mm. really loved it. Yeah. Uh, Ivizu, I love, I, I, mm. I love it, especially, uh, of course, where, where, a couple of 20 years ago when they were launched in Europe. Uh, and uh, I think uh, I have a lot of those jeans and jackets. So it's, it's still a big inspiration for me and still now. Nice. So um, last question then. Is uh, and, and this is uh, luckily hypothetical, but if your house should one day be burning and you already have your family outside in safety, what would you dive back into the flames to get? <laughs> well, to, to be honest, if uh, it would be my uh, my own uh, all the King's Vinigo pairs I have, uh, we uh, we developed in a really lovely fabric with recycled cotton with Collect. Nice. And we made some uh, regular fits in that, which is uh, partly uh, organic cotton, partly recycled cotton. And uh, the the all the worn-in pieces I have at home, and I, I have them from unworn until unworn, uh, unworn, worn in and unworn. I would get that stack of denim out of my closet and take them uh, take them away because, like I said, I hardly fit any Japanese denim because I'm too big for that. <laughs> And this is Japanese fabric made in a fit I like, and th- these are definitely the, 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 my favorite jeans. Nice. So uh, those I would uh, definitely uh, go back for in the burning house. So I think that's uh, that's a good place to end then. Um, so before I let you go, uh, please tell the listeners where they can go and uh, find out more about you and Koi. <laughs> Well, yeah, of course, uh, if you go uh, to uh, kingsvindigo.com, you can find all information we do. You can see all our styles. Uh, you, you can purchase it. Uh, you can buy. You can find our whole social report, which is about 60 pages of what we do on sustainability uh, on terms of um, raw materials or washing or fair working conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the rest, we, we mainly sell in Northern Europe, uh, a little bit in Australia and a little bit in North, North America. Uh, you can find a, a store locator, and uh, yeah, you can you can find our product uh, there. Nice, nice. And on Instagram as well, it's Kings of Indigo. Kings of Indigo, yeah, of course. Uh, that, that's also why we are using the word King, Kings of Indigo more than Koi, because if you Google Koi or go to Instagram Koi, you find a lot of fish ponds <laughs> or fish <laughs> restaurants or these kind of things. And, and Kings of Indigo in the digital world is a lot bit easier to find. So when yeah. when we started, we use a lot the word Koi a lot more, and these days we, we use the word Kings of Indigo a lot more because in the digital world it's easier to to track down. Nice. Well. Um, So, Tony, this has been uh, a pleasure talking to you again. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, I think that's uh, that's it for, for this one. So, um, All right, Thomas. Well, yeah. thanks for having me. It's, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you. And like you said, uh, I think we started more or less uh, at the same time yeah. uh, with Kings Vinigo as Denim Hunters in this exactly. denim world. So exactly. it's, 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 uh, thanks for following us and, uh, and uh, thanks for inviting me for this. Of course, anytime. And uh, yeah, and that was it for this one. We'll catch you in the next one. You've made it to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a future episode. 
And if you want to get more content about denim, go to denimhunters.com. Oh, 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 oh